I'd like to welcome you to another episode of Safety Talks. If it's your first time, welcome. And if you're returning, it's great to have you back. With me today, I have uh, Mark Grobe, and you're the head of Immersive Tech Center for UPS, and Scott Coleman, who is the CEO of Preventure. So I'm very excited about this conversation because we're going to actually be looking at preventing workplace injuries using science and technologies. We're going to look at um, something that I'm excited about, but I'm ignorant about, and that's wearable technology, the virtual reality, AVR, not even sure what that means, but I'm excited to learn about it and how we can be working to get these into the workplace. So they're actual practical tools and not just kind of pie in the sky ideas. Well, thank you both of you for coming on the podcast and doing this. This is going to be an amazing conversation. So thank you so much for that. No worries. Thanks for, um, thanks for asking us. Excited. Yeah. Now, I wanted to kind of kick this off with Scott, you sharing your story a little bit about how you, you started up your, your company, because it's kind of unusual where your, your background is. Yeah, yes. Well, I start, I'm a sports physio, so I, or sports physical therapist. So I started um, my career throughout um, the '90s, looking after elite athletes, and most of the sports I gravitated towards were the repetitive loading sports, so track and field, rowing, swimming, triathlon, where theoretically the athletes shouldn't get injured. It's not like contact sports and basketball and and you know football where there are going to be injuries because there are unpredictable forces that the, the athletes are exposed to. But in these controlled environments, they shouldn't get injured. The only way they got injured was because of overload, either coaches or sports scientists not managing their training appropriately. And what it comes down to is if the training load or the competition load exceeded the athlete's capacity to tolerate the load, then they broke down and got injured. So my job for 15 years was to, to manage that. And we found the best way to manage that was to use technology. And as technology was evolving, especially through the 90s and early 2000s, we found that it was getting easier and easier to measure the load on the athlete. And we could use heart rates. Well, heart rate's been around for a while, but we're starting to measure their movements. So you could actually quantify the impact on the muscles when that's a hurdler or if it's a swimmer or... and and as soon as you can quantify it, then you can track changes. So it wasn't so much a matter of saying there, here is a threshold. Any athlete above that threshold is in danger. It was a matter of monitoring and seeing any changes and how that individual adapted to the changes. So 15 years of doing that. And then my mother sustained an injury working as a nurse and she mm -hmm. was lifting a patient in an awkward position. Um, we've all heard the story. Um, uh, doing something that she was always doing, but her priority was caring for the patient she was moving in a way so her manual handling training had been a safe lifting manual that she had been told to read through when she started her job 20 years prior it was ridiculous and when i heard this and and when i saw and lived through the pain and, and um discomfort that my mother went through and and her nursing career came to an early end because of her um the surgery she needed on her spine and I thought this is this was a hundred percent preventable, so that's when we I started transitioning my um my knowledge, the technology, the processes that we use yeah. to protect athletes, um, transitioned across to the workplace. And five years later, we now have something that anyone can use. So going back to my mother's instance, the safety professional at that nursing home puts the sensors on the nurses and can actually identify which nurses are moving in ways that puts them at risk. 
they can identify which tasks put them at yeah. risk. So. And then, and then if we go to Mark with the, a UPS, you know, Mark, I see your employees running around all the time in mm -hmm. different degrees of weather. And I would have to believe that they would have to bring a sense, a level of athleticism to mm -hmm. their job as well. Oh, hands down. You know, I'm just listening to this and I'm like, you know, talk about like weightlifting and things of that nature. Uh, when you think about the business we do from the standpoint of enterprise, right? You know, it's the same thing if mechanics wise. Uh, and just listening to what you're saying, I mean, I'm thinking of our integrad program, which is a program specifically focused to the people in those brown trucks that are delivering those packages for you, right? You know, we have programs where they learn how to carry packages on ice, believe it or not. Um, you know, and the proper way of just how to properly pick up your packages. Um, myself, I was involved with a study where we used computer vision to actually analyze the inverse kinetics of employees on a line. And based on it, the machine, the software, learned to identify by just constant body move movement of particular targets, right? That a specific target is more likely to get back problems just because mechanically, they're not properly picking something up. So, uh, you know, these are all great things to, you know, that from a standpoint of enterprise is very important. I wanted to kind of move right into um, part of the discussion about leveraging wearables in our workplaces for our own wellness, as well as safety. And you've already touched on it a bit. So I think we'll dive into to that a little bit. What I'm wanting to learn from the both of you are, what are some of the wearables that you're seeing is going to be really disrupting the way we're currently doing our work in health and safety is going to help us kind of navigate through creating stronger health and safety work programs in our organizations. I wanted yeah. to get a sense of that from the two of you. I'll, I'll jump in because the last six, seven years, I've really refined not just what the technology can deliver the safety professional, but also what the technology means to the worker. And this is where, because a lot of the time the worker, the, the I mean, you, you can consider all the stakeholders, the insurance company, the employer, the safety professional, they'll all really benefit from whatever data comes from the wearable tech, but it's the worker that's often neglected in this chain. And so we found early on when you start measuring heart rate, we know measuring heart rate is a really good way to identify which workers are physiologically coping with the work. Because we know if their heart rate is higher, they're going to fatigue quicker. And when they fatigue, there's all sorts of injury risks, slips, trips and falls, as well as the lifting injury risks that Mark was talking about, the biomechanical ones. But workers generally don't want their heart rate measured because of all of the, 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 uh, the I suppose, potential for employers to say, this worker's working harder than this worker, or this worker's not actually working hard enough. So there's, there's always that background concern for the worker and GPS is another one. We found early on when we put these devices on workers, their concern was they are being tracking, being tracked. And that's where the whole big brother principle of, you know, I can't go anywhere as soon as I clock on. And then when I clock off at the end of the day, my boss is going to be tracking my every move. And I'm, I'm yeah, that extra bit of surveillance is a concern. However, when you measure their movements, you put accelerometers on them and you measure their movements and you explain to them that we're measuring your movements to make sure that you move as efficiently as possible to protect yourself from injury because your health and well-being is your way of earning an income. 
It's a way of supporting your family. It's a way of earning money to then spend on your hobbies. You get injured, you lose that capacity to earn that money and, and your quality of life will decrease. And as soon as it's, it's framed in that way, we're only measuring your movements and we're doing it for this reason, then the workers get engaged. And when the workers engaged, they wear it more often. It's as simple as that. But if the worker's concerned, then they're going to be reluctant to wear it. They'll be forced to wear it. And straight away, there's, there'll be a bit of pushback, especially with unions as well. As soon as you, you, put, you frame it in a way that this is about the worker. Yes, we're using the data in the back end to help manage this. But at the end of the day, we want that information to benefit the worker. True, true. I, I love the fact that you put in the trade union there because I'm just sitting there going, you know, this is something we see all the time when we talk about the wearables from the standpoint of training beforehand to be preventative, right? Um, you know, it's all about that buy-in. It's all about what I typically term as the intrusion of technology, right? <laughs> How willing is your subject going to be to let that technology intrude on their space? Mm. Um, you know, and from our standpoint, right, what I generally deal with at UPS is the preventative aspects of it using the virtual reality stuff, right? It's the idea of we can put them in virtual spaces. The devices, you know, these 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 cool jars you throw on your head, right? They're able to they are able to track your eyeballs. They are able to judge your posture based on the relationship of the headset, your calculated height, and the controllers and association, right? Because then you have your skeletal structure, right? Um, you know, all that's possible, right? But then there's also the aspect of, well, in doing all this, talking about all this great stuff, right? In the end, it's also about what's the problem we're solving and what's the buy-in that you're gonna get from those individuals. So, and I think that's a big piece right now that people are starting to learn in my field, right? Scott, obviously you, you guys are ahead of us on that, but uh, you know, it's a real thing. It's the case of, you know, how comfortable are we letting corporate, our bosses, you know, get this data on us that will indirectly somehow make us accountable for what we do, right? It's an interesting question, right? And integrating it into training is also a key. Workers know they need to do training, whether it's an ongoing basis or whether it's just the initial onboarding. But if technology is a part of that, as soon as they're introduced to it as part of something they've got to do as part of their, their job anyway, then there's, they're more accepting as well. So like you say, the VR headsets are great. And then you integrate all the data. Otherwise, if it just becomes something where, yes, I wear these sensors, but then I get nothing for it, all that information is just going to the management, then there, there is always that concern. And like you say- Yeah, I always, I always make the joke, if you're just collecting the data and doing it, using it for something else like marketing, you know, your Facebook. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, uh, <laughs> we tend to take a look at it as it's really sort of direct inverse models that say, hey, you know, we're identifying based on your mechanical rhythm that you're consecutively doing this, right? This is a, a mechanical thing you have to change. And that's the neat thing with these wearables that we use in our environment is that we can create simulations where it's very easy to set up environments that are repetitive, right? Mm -hmm. And then through that, we can dictate or change character or, you know, how they're currently doing something and, you know, get something better out of it. So it's interesting. And I wanted to kind of break the conversation out into two, two other areas moving, moving forward in our discussion that both of you could probably speak to in different ways. One that I'm really interested in, so are, is my audience, is what kind of wearables um, could we actually be using 
um, other than the ones that we typically hear about. Like I, when in my research, I heard about wearable insoles that people could be wearing in their shoes um, to help tracking different um, when they're lifting and stuff like that. But the other side of the, the coin here is that's great that you've got this tech all on, but how do I even go about using the data if I'm not a high level executive that's making fancy dashboards? what use is it to a ground level health and safety professional? So maybe if we could open up those two areas, that would be great. Yeah, I'll start on this one. Um, you know, you mentioned the souls, right? We commonly also will assign phones to employees, right? So the idea of inside your phone right now is accelerometers, gyroscopes, you know, all these different sensors that measure things. And uh, just simply having access to that and then combining that with machine learning, right? You're able to build these models that then can be more effective in, you know, as what we're all talking about here is making the workspace more safe. So, so it's pretty interesting. Yeah, and I, the the different types of technologies that have evolved over the years, it's from a science nerd perspective, I love this. It's so great. You can measure so much. And again, going back to what we used to do with the athletes, we used to measure absolutely everything. But then we'd have teams of sports scientists to filter through that to then deliver the important message to the coach or to the head doctor. And Whereas that's key in- too, what Scott's saying is, you know, there are groups out there that they collect all this data and are doing nothing with it, yep. right? Yep, exactly. The other side of the coin is, like you're saying, is having the data scientists really get into it. Yeah, or building platforms that only, that filter out all the noise. And like I said, you can, you can put inner souls in shoes and someone like me would go through that data and it would blow my mind. Whereas the reality is if that goes through to their manager, they'll say, well, so what if that person's taking more steps than that person or that person's heel strike is higher than that person? How does that relate to my day-to-day? How do I, as a manager, use that information to actually change what that worker's doing? Either reduce the risk or try to change bad habits and that's, that's what we've spent five years doing. Well, and my, um, actually, I'll go back to my very first report that I delivered when I transitioned across from sports into the workplace. It was a large healthcare company in Australia. And I delivered this report and I was just waiting for a standing ovation because it was phenomenal and like nothing they'd ever seen before. Yet they looked at each other and said, what do we do with this? This, it was so detailed, it was so comprehensive. So I had to whittle it all the way back to make it as simple as possible to build a dashboard that they can click on and say, okay, I see that's red, that's bad. I see that's green, that's good. Okay, so with the bad, what do I do to change that? I click on this. Okay, now I see it's the range. It's how far the worker's moving. That's the problem. Let's see why. Oh, look, they're too short. Let's put them on a platform. Or it's the control of the movement. So their range is okay. Yes, they're reaching within the normal limits, but they're doing so in a way that's not controlled. And this is another big part of using the data that we use with athletes in the workplace. Because I came across and realized it was all focused on how far people bend or twist, how high people reach, but they never focused on the control of the movement. So all of us now can stand and very slowly bend forward and touch our toes. And it's good for us. It's a good stretch for our back and it's good for the muscles for a, and, and opening up the joints of the back. But if we did it as fast as we could, it's a big injury risk because the control of the movement is different. And that's it's where we found. Exactly. So that's where we thought, all right, well, we want to convey that. We want to be able to say, all right, 
for this manager, for this safety professional, here's a group of workers. Here's the ones, they're all moving the same. It's a repetitive task, but here's the ones that are moving with less control. They're the ones who are going to fatigue quicker. They're the ones who are going to be higher injury risk. So it's about taking a huge amounts of data, filtering through it and saying, here are the points you need to focus on. And here's how you need to, here's what you need to know on what, how to change it and how to measure it and, and, and track that change. There's no point in measuring things if you can't then make a change and then measure the results of that change. And part of that too, is you want to look at is the flip to that, right? From the standpoint of management is first, can we detect our high performers, right? And then what's the magic behind the high performers? Yes, yes. Right? What are that's, they doing? For my side, that's typically the angle that we play is the idea that, this technology is great because it's so direct to the body, right? Yep. We're getting these direct measurements. And typically the first key is always an indicator is, well, who's my top performer, right? And then from my top performer, well, let's do an analysis. of Why are they the top performer, right? Mm. What is the biomechanics or are they subconsciously doing less steps? Are they doing more steps? Are they actually changing the process that we're doing so that, Maybe traditionally the processes are X, Y, Z. Are they going X, Y, back to A, then Z, right? Um, or is are they inventing something, right? Mm. So that's kind of the other aspect to these wearables is that it gives us the ability to make those measurements. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, you know, I'm interested in learning a little bit more um, from you, Scott, as well about the sports science and how we, um, Mark and you discussing about how we can connect that into the workplace in our health and safety. Uh, lot, one thing a lot of people don't know about me is when I was younger, I was in competitive gymnastics right up to the national level. And so from that small experience, I do understand how the coaches were always constantly, Scott, assessing our form, how we're holding ourselves, and just like even you know, making those little corrections so that we could get just that little bit more height in our flips so that that made the difference between being a, a third place and being a gold mm. is fine tuning those type of mechanicals, how you're using your body. And I do agree that we've really missed an opportunity not applying this into our workplaces so that we could reduce and mitigate the opportunity for um, injuries to occur um, on, on our workers' bodies because it's life-changing. And so, you know, I'd like to kind of understand a little bit more about how you guys are seeing this could be a proactive measure for health and safety professionals to be picking up and starting to leverage. Yeah, well, as Mark already mentioned, you know, a way of identifying the high performers in the workplace has a lot of value. But the reason why the sports science principles haven't emerged or haven't transitioned across to the workplace is because there are teams of athletes, that teams of sports scientists, teams of coaches and analysts that are needed for a small amount of athletes. So if you think you've got a huge workforce, you're going to need a huge team of sports scientists to actually deliver that specific information that's needed to improve performance at the very, very highest level. Now, if we go back to the evolution of sports science over the years, like 15, 20 years ago, most professional teams had an injury prevention program, which was standard. Everyone did the same stretches. Everyone did the same 
range of motions. They, everyone did the same skills drills in order to prevent injuries. But then as the sports science profession evolved, they realized every individual has their own strengths and weaknesses. So their injury prevention programs need to be tailored to that. Now, it wasn't just injury prevention programs. Obviously, it was about high performance. But when we take those principles to the workplace, yes, we want them working more, more efficiently, we want them to be more productive. But we don't want to get to the point where that productivity is starting to edge into fatigue-related injuries. So, so what's happened? I mean, and the best way to, I suppose, explain the benefits of sports science and the, the pieces that can be used in the workplace, it's come back to refining it to make it so that you don't need a, a huge team of sports scientists for every handful of workers. It's the other way around now. You can use technology so that one sports scientist, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry, can monitor and track and identify inefficiencies in thousands of workers. You can see which ones, which categories are the high performers. And as Mark said, find out what they're doing and then use that information to build training modules or to then educate and coach the work, the other workers who aren't doing that. Yeah. It's really a unique situation with the wearables, right? There's that connectedness and uh, you can get that direct store straight measure. Right. And ideally in the end, right. We want to make sure everyone's safe. We want to make sure it's that, you know, I may lean out to get that package. Right. And then, uh, me understanding that, well, if I do that 30 times, it may not bother me, right? But if I do it 30, 30,000 times, because I'm going to do it over a career 15 years, yeah, no, I'm never going to get there, right? So after maybe 300, something's going to happen. Um, and that's, again, we also use simulation, right? So the ability to create simulated spaces to do the analysis on that and uh, have the people sort of interact with that. So, so it's interesting. It really is sort of, I am hearing from the sports side, it's sort of you know, a very customized you know, approach. And here we're sort of looking at, it's a very sterilized sort of initially static environment, right? Where we're able to get you know, through a population of maybe 30 users, you know, a varying range of you know, kind of variety of inputs. And then based on that sort of see, well, if we change say this aspect of it, how much time do we save? Right, you know, so it's, it's interesting, if, if, you know, where we can go with all this technology. How can we be using this in order to share knowledge back to the employees to help them understand um, the choices that they are making in the way that they move their bodies and how they can prevent long-term injuries? That when we're, we're young, we don't think about that. Uh, one particular person that's coming to my mind is somebody I was working with at Metro who had been doing the same job for about 42 years. And his comment was, if I had just known when I was younger that the way I was doing my work would have given me this, um, this um, injury in my back, I would have changed it. But nobody shared that knowledge. Well, from the from my end, right, um, it really kind of boils down to, I always stress, what's the problem we're solving, right? Identify the problem, then based on the problem we're identifying, you know, finding a solution to correct it, right? Just like if you're in medical surgery, right? Uh, you know, we do a process to, once we've identified the problem. So I would say first, it's always to go there because as we all know, there's a lot of different issues out there, right? Sometimes it's as simple as for us, we have a simulation where, um, you know, you may not know it, I didn't know for a while, but there's three or four generic lengths or sizes to a, to a box. Did you know that? 
right? And uh, here I am putting something together. It's like, you know, house of cards, right? And once people identify this simple aspect, oh, 18 inches, 22 inches, you know, whatever, you know, uh, once they've identified that, then all of a sudden it's, well, they're able to, one, they don't think as much, right? They, they accept the fact that these things exist. And based on that, they become more efficient and they become more productive and they're safer, right? They're not sitting there trying to do crazy stuff. So specific software out there um, in our area, I would say it's still very custom. Um, it's very specifically focused, um, but that's because we have a certain level of ROI that we want to definitely get out of it, right? Um, that we want to get value to the employee. We want our employees to work forever, right? We don't want them to be short-term, you know, liabilities. We want them to be long-term productive people. So, so that's a tough question that you ask of, you know, what software out there can we use? I mean, you can always say, hey, there's things like Fitbit, you know, and there's those sort of biometric tools that help us with biorhythms and things like that. But from the standpoint of enterprise, right, I would say, I think we're still at the point where we're trying to institute, we're trying to get this technology more into the space so that this way management then can understand that, you know, this preventative measure is really litigating and saving costs long-term, right? Because um, it's very expensive, believe it or not, to actually train someone on how to properly move boxes, you know, packages. Yeah, it's interesting. The we um the past six months really, we started thinking a lot of well, we we were receiving a lot of feedback from the workers saying, okay, here I've got the sensors that I'm wearing have given me numbers that show yes, I am moving in a way that increases the load on my back. Uh, how do I change that? Do I then have to go to the safety professional? Do I go back to the safety training that I was delivered when I started or the safety manual that I've got? And so we actually started integrating the into our app. So it's a smartphone app. It collects the data in the first place and gives them feedback. But then we thought, well, why don't we deliver specific training information to the worker based off the numbers? So if a worker was moving in a way that increased their load on the back, we built an, uh, an artificial intelligence component to our app that recognizes that sees their numbers within certain limit, certain thresholds. So they then get delivered training modules based on those risks. So we know every individual out there has different injury risks. And so now the technology and the, the software that we built into our app doesn't just identify it. It identifies it and then sends them information, sends them training modules with video and with, with the data. So it's all, it's all connected. It's not just a matter of where you've got a high load on your back when you're performing in this sort of section of the warehouse or when you're doing these particular tasks. So here's a heap of generic safety training, that lifting techniques that we told you when you started. It's more like here is the risk that the sensors have identified. Now here's some training modules specifically for you to change your risk. It's not about the generic training anymore. It's about this is, an, this is targeting your individual risk so it's meaningful to you. And that's the purpose. We don't want to send you information about reducing cuts and, and or slips, trips, and falls risk if it's not a risk for you. Mm-hmm. That's a great point. It's, you know, it, like I love the fact that you're saying it's, it's data-driven, right, of the individual, which there you get your custom, right? It's all mm-hmm. customized based on yeah. around the, the problem that they're individually trying to solve. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, my thinking is going like when I was uh, doing safety in the store and just even in if we take it right down to a real exhibit 
example, being in the deli where you've got different workers using the slicer and there's different um, stresses on the body when somebody is uh, four or five, you know, four feet, five inches compared to somebody who is six feet. And so it, it was very interesting when I started to watch the workers that I could actually see the struggles in how to move their body. And so it would be great if, when, if they are wearing a wearables that it's able to pick up like, oh, you know what? Even this station isn't set up for, for a safe way to make sure that workers of this height are protected. So maybe you would need to think as the, the safety professional having stations at different at levels. You know what I'm yeah. saying? In yeah, order yeah. to accommodate height size, because we had one situation where um, if we hadn't caught it fast enough, the, the slicer was actually starting to slip when a shorter woman was working on it. And I noticed it for coming forward. And so that's when we, we looked again and said, okay, so what is needed here to realign this workstation so that it's safe? Because those slicers are very heavy. Mm. Well, another know. example, we, we once, we early, very early on, we did a project for a company that was a distribution warehouse and their workers, section of their workers had to open boxes. So they had different types of knives, uh, but we didn't, uh, the management had never considered the knives being a, obviously a cuts injury risk, but they never considered them being a wrist, elbow, shoulder injury risk. And we presented this data and said, what's, what's going on in this area? Because a section of these workers have a really high jarring force that's going through their shoulders and through their arms at certain points throughout the day. And we dug a bit deeper and realized that they were using a particular safety knife that was blunting and catching sooner than the other knives. So all of a sudden, something as simple as that, that wouldn't have been detected without the spikes in the, the charts that we were delivering. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden, these the certain workers, and they only the workers were choosing the knives based on the hand grips, whether the hand grip felt nice or not. And so, so management straight away said, all right, those knives are gone. These knives are in. And their rates of injuries dropped um, as, a, as, a, yeah, as a result of simply changing the knives that they were using and making them, making them standard across everyone. But that's the core of health and safety, right? Is to identify a potential risk or hazard and then eliminate it so that it no longer is creating a, um, an injury or an opportunity for the workers. If we yeah. come down to what we our basics of what we learned. And so that brings me over to thinking about um, monitoring advantages. Like a lot of people are now having to work off site I was able to visually see what was going on with the slicer. And that's the only reason though, that I caught it. A corporate health and safety manager that's not always in that environment and didn't hear the, the worker complaining about something happening and then being more mindful, like, okay, so red alert, I'm gonna be watching this, right? And then we caught it. So how can they be using this technology to do um, monitoring offsite? Yeah, we, um, sorry, Mike, if you don't mind me jumping in, we actually, early on, we thought that exact principle was like, we've got biomechanists and we've got sports scientists looking at athletes all the time, but you can't have an, a set of eyes and a professional looking at every worker every time. Uh, but video and data when they're paired is really powerful. So one of the features, one of the first features we built with the product was a way of anybody taking video from their smartphone pairing it with the data from the sensors on a worker 
and then that can be sent and, and it's uploaded automatically. So you could have a safety professional in an office in New York that's looking at a video and data that's been collected from somebody in Mexico or Alaska and the data has been collected by their manager. So anyone can actually grab a phone, put the sensors on a worker, record a task assessment, and then the professionals can look at it. So all of a sudden, and now with COVID, with the restrictions of COVID, where a lot of safety professionals can't get on site, um, this technology is, is more valuable than ever. Yeah, and just to kind of add to that, right? There's the aspects of, you know, you have your sort of standard mitigate risk where you may have, uh, you know, dock cameras and things of that nature. You can use computer algorithms, computer vision to then segment out and determine, you know, potential risk models depending on what the particular content is that it's looking at. Um, another another piece we're talking about here is uh, that we do the immersive stuff, right? So to the advent of obviously COVID, right? You can't go on site anymore. I was saying to you, Tamara, before we have this discussion now is, uh, you know, last year, you know, I was looking at, oh, well, I was going to do a lot of stuff on site, you know, right there. But then all of a sudden COVID came along. And the question was, well, how can you get people, you know, to be safe, to get trained, to do all these things in a world of COVID, right? Um, and with a lot of the virtual training that we've been doing, right? Now it's a case of, it's sort of, I describe it as very sort of offsite personalized, right? And then the idea here is what's the training goal for safety to, that we're looking at, right? It's, it's the idea about, we want them to be confident. We want them to hit the ground running when they get there, right? So a lot of the wearables in regards to virtual reality, even the augmented reality with remote access, right? The ability to say, I have a problem. I need my hands, I need both hands, right? Well, there's wearables for that where we can have cameras then relay what I see to you, right? And you may be the expert at it. and. That makes the environment that I'm that people are working so much safer than uh, you know if I have to hold a cell phone while I'm trying to do something and you know come on it's, it's that's a problem in itself right um, so you know the technology you know is out there now to solve a lot of these problems and uh, it's going to be interesting to see after post pandemic hopefully we get there uh, you know how's this all going to evolve you know the acceptance of you know remote workers how does that play into this right um, do we now have to, from a safety standpoint, consider the work environment at home, right? Well, I'm not going to go there with the kids, right? But, you know, the stress and things associated to that, right? Those are going to affect us, you know, in those environments as well. So, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting. Uh, where will the wearables take us? What I found interesting with the VR um, element too is that I've just started to get into VR and my son has an ocular lens. Um, I think that's what it's called. Anyway, Oculus. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Thank you. Sure. Uh, he has one that he enjoys wearing, but when I put it on, I was kind of getting um, a little bit um, disoriented. Mm -hmm. But then I found out that you can actually also use VR on your PC, mm -hmm. right? So for those people who are saying, "Oh well, you know, we don't have all that technology," you can actually do it through your PC also. Exactly. Yep. And so can you share about that? Like, how can sure. we be using that? Because that's reasonable for some well, people. I, let's, let's talk about kind of, this, this is health and safety, right? So a good topic also to talk about, right? With any technology, right? We're now introducing new risks, new issues into the environment. Uh, you know, items like the Oculus headset or other VR headsets, right? You just mentioned cyber sickness, right? Um, this is a factor that, you know, enterprise has to deal with if you're going to start implementing and deploying this technology in the field. Um, 
you know, this is where it's kind of interesting and unique because, uh, you know, it's a unique issue to the interface, right? Um, you know, virtual reality has so many great potentials for it, but there's also the risks of, well, you know, what's the effects of a 10 year old? No one knows yet because no one's done the research, right? Um, what, what happens to someone that has interpupillary measurement that is bigger or smaller than what the device is capable to do, right? You're basically having an employee work cross-eyed or you know, outside, however you want to call it. Uh, and biologically, your body will change to compensate for the short sights of the device, right? So health and safety, right? These are things that specifically my group, right, at UPS, this is something we always deal with, is someone will come to me and say, oh, this is the world, this is the, this is the next silver bullet for your problems, Mark. Like, oh, that's great. Okay, yeah, let me have it, you know? And then we'll look at it and we're like, yes, no, yes, no. You know, there's some things, there's not a silver bullet yet, right? Um, but there's the, the things you were talking about, intrusion, right? This technology is great, but biologically, if it's not set right and you're not educated from a safety standpoint of how to properly configure it, you're going to get sick, right? Um, there's uh, the fun topic of, I don't know about you, but I get a chuckle every once in a while and I shouldn't, but I watch these YouTube videos of first timers, right? And you see grandma swinging her 3D controllers around playing some game in VR, right? Meanwhile, she clocks her grandson or, you know, you know, knocks over the TV. Those are health and safety issues, people, you know? Um, <laughs> and from the standpoint of, uh, from, from, from enterprise, right? These are things you have to educate and have in place. So within itself, right? We're talking about technology and in itself, the technology brings more issues, right? Yes, but properly deployed and managed, right? You, you, you handle these issues and you answer them. Otherwise, a lot of this technology, these wearables, you know, they're dead before they ever get on the floor. Yeah, yeah. So, We've, uh, I haven't come... I haven't come across too many of the um, the VR AR products here. We haven't ventured down that space yet. We know one of our um, partners here is a paramedics. It's a it's a government run paramedics where they do a lot of their critical situation training through mm -hmm. VR. Um, but they they tried to do manual handling. They tried to do sort of technique training through it, and the workers just didn't respond. So it was really handy in simulating situations that they couldn't generally simulate in normal training environments. Um, but it's interesting. I didn't realize that people can get motion sickness with the oh, VR yeah. headset. I mean, wow. that dates back to probably the eighties, seventies. Really? Right? Um, I got into VR in the late nineties, and it was still a thing. Right? Wow. Um, and it's because you know, from standpoint of biology, right? If you're trying to fool your brain, right? Your brain responds. And then a lot of times when these people get cyber sectors, it's your body saying, nah, this ain't happening. I'm Something's putting up right. defenses, right? Yeah. And then it's, you feel nauseous, you feel sick, you get the sweats. Um, wow. I've experienced the fun of, uh, in previous occupations as well, of really looking at sort of demoing and broad populations. And in those populations, constantly you know you'll see these these situations that i talk about the interpupillary right someone you know their eyes are very near or very far and you would think that shouldn't be a problem but it is right it's wow. like glasses right i make the joke good technology like this needs an eye doctor in the box right um you know and it's the there's so many things and there's also things simply as like you're talking about with your paramedic right maybe they're doing they're doing a triage simulation right mm. and um the simulation has to replicate 
reality a certain way. Otherwise, mentally, you're just, this is fake, mm, right? Mm. And the learning process and the value that you're really trying to aim for isn't going to be there, right? No. So it's it's interesting in the sense of remember, like tools like virtual reality versus a mixed reality, which is like VR, but we're trying to make it work in reality with spatial computing, right? Um, VR, it's, I don't care about the real world. It's all about the fake world, right? Mm. Mixed reality is a little different because we don't experience what we're talking about in the sense of sickness as much. But then what's interesting is you have the dependence of the real that mm. influences the virtual, right? Um, virtual reality is great when you want to train or instill processes to make people safer at their jobs. When you have an environment, like you're saying, you don't want to have to have real hurt people, right? You want to have the ability to very quickly say, all right, boom, I need somebody who lost an arm. Uh, you know, I want a vicious uh, head trauma. They run a motorcycle, right? Virtually, boom, it's very easy to just press a button. We're back, you know, it's instant replay, right? Mm. It's not like in the real triage and a real ER where you have to wait, you know, God forbid, you know, and then there's a very thin line of opportunity of learning versus the risk, right? Both to the client and to the to the organization. So there's the unique aspect to the virtual reality stuff is the repetitiveness and then combining it with things like you're doing, Scott, where then you're getting the biometrics, you know, you're getting these sort of mechanical rhythms and models in place. It's uh, proving to be a very interesting way forward for people in health and safety because um, it gives you an opportunity to sort of synthetically recreate or create a problem and then work through the problem before it really happens. So it's interesting. When we're looking at risks, another thing that came to my head was cyber risk, as well as like errors that could be happening in the technology itself. And so what as health and safety professionals should we be kind of being mindful about in that area? If you guys could share that. Scott, go ahead. Uh, yeah, so we, we made sure as soon as we started collecting information for workers, we, we got lawyers involved and we made sure, first of all, that we were ticking all the boxes with compliance. Um, and these days, most territories, governments have put some pretty strict policies in place that you've got to adhere to. So, so straight away, we made sure that everything uh, we collected was protected and encrypted. And, and for us, it's interesting because there's, several stages of data processing there's there's this the data on the sensors when they're getting measured so one on the back and one on the arm so when they're wearing them there's the first level of encryption there then it's been sent via bluetooth to a smartphone another level of encryption another filter there and then it gets sent to the cloud-based dashboard where the algorithms do their magic and then it's encrypted there as well so the data is encrypted the worker's name the location and their um their employer that's that's the only information we collect so it's not considered sensitive information but it is still something that we really need to protect so we've configured it so that if someone does hack in it's pretty much useless to them anyway so the workers can be confident that the information that they've got is not going to be first of all used by external um external entities in a sinister way because it can't, they're going to get hundreds of thousands of rows of numbers that is meaningless to them. So, so we made sure from day one that everything we do is very well protected and we let the workers know that there's another thing. Actually, the other thing is we've got, um, 
so this is sort of external um, problems, external hackers um, with cybersecurity, but internal as well. So we wanted to make sure that if a worker is concerned, they can de-identify their data. So they still see it. They've got their account. They get the feedback. They still get the training modules. But if they're concerned that a new manager that's just come in that's that's trying to get rid of them, then they can de-identify their data so that that particular manager can't do anything um, sinister or can't actually go in and start looking at ways to attack that worker. So we added that extra layer as well for internal security reasons. Yeah, I mean, I like the idea that, you know, one big thing at, our organization, right, is we big big enterprises, right? They always view the data as it's our data, right? We can do what we want with it, right? But there's also a line, there's the PPE, uh, you know, what, you know, a user is going to be comfortable with the data collection. Um, uh, I get a lot of response from people where they're like, oh, well, you know, where's this data go, you know? And uh, I've had arguments with management where they're like, well, we want to be able to capture this, 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 and this. And I'm just like, well, that's great, but you're not going to. Well, not, why not? Well, there's liability, right? Now we're talking health and safety from the organizational standpoint, right? Uh, with data and us collecting the data, right? There's liability, right? There's, we, we, we are collecting and we need to be good stewards. So, um, you know, we, we have a variety of things that we'll do. What exactly I usually can't talk about, but, you know, for us, our main focus is always on site right? We don't really leave, you know, our intranet, you know, nothing goes externally. Um, everything, if it does, usually is very kind of secure cloud stuff. Um, so, but yeah, from the standpoint of the data and things of that nature, right? Um, we have policies in place when we start designing and planning these solutions to the problem, right? We have rules and guidelines in place that simply say, hey, you know, you can go this far, you can't go this far. You know, there's a line and, uh, you know, we have security people that, you know, we have internal uh, privacy data personnel that they audit, right? And they'll say, hey, you know, we're going to call, you know, trouble when there is one, right? So, uh, so from an organizational standpoint and, and safety, right, there's that responsibility of stewardship. And also, you do have the option to not actually collect the data. Yeah. One other thing, it's really hard. If you're doing it properly, it's really hard to try to make sure that at every level that the data is secure and it's not just secure now, but it's secure tomorrow when there's a new virus or there's something new in place. So to do it, a lot of people say, yeah, 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 we're secure, we're secure. We did something a year ago. We got compliance two years ago. Well, what about tomorrow when this new genius in whatever country comes up with a new way of completely destroying all your data and selling it to whoever or what's, what's or just your tampering? anonymization algorithm? Can someone derail it? Can yeah. they, re, you know, can they reconstruct it with so many other data points? You know, these yep. are things that have to go into the thought when you're building out these processes. Yeah, and it's hard. It's hard work. It's real hard. It's not it's an necessary. easy thing. That's <laughs> no. where uh, I always joke with our guys in advanced tech. I say, you guys are the real scientists because yeah. it really is a science to do it right. Now, I know we're coming to the end of our time, but one thing I wanted to kind of uh, talk a bit about is how can we help our employees kind of self-serve? Um, I come from, you know, the the, the standpoint that um, we care for ourselves, we look after ourselves, and we're a team, we can look after one another. 
um, collectively, but you still have to engage in, in self-serving to, to own that, really own that as part of what you do and you contribute. And so how can this technology really help our workers self-serve in that way for their wellness and health as well as safety? I'll jump in first. I think Scott's going to have a fun time with this one. Um, <laughs> I really think it's about, from our organizational standpoint, right, and self-service for the employees, it's about, you know, training. It's about the awareness of it. Um, you know, there is some level of procedure that we still want to follow. There's certain dots we need to, to match up and make sure happen in order before we really put them into an environment where they'll be at risk, right? Um, I think that's key. It's just the education and the aspects up front. Um, and then the other aspect that our organization is also going to be um, an open environment where if an employee does feel they are identifying some potential, you know, issue, there's processes in place so that they can act on it instead of it just being, you know, it's continues to be the train going down the rail. Yeah, we um, early, very early on, I discovered the it won't happen to me phenomenon. So, yes, workers think, oh, yeah, I'm lifting boxes all day, every day. And I know Joe, two years ago, had a pretty bad injury to his back, but that's not going to happen to me. And so a lot of the workers with a lot of safety training, they'll sit there in these safety training meetings and they'll go through all the training. But in the back of their mind, they're just saying, this is for other people because it won't happen to me. Oh, that's, that's a concern. All right, I will keep an eye on that. And then a month later, they've forgotten about it because they, most people think, well, until they're in pain, they think it won't happen to them. And so that's why we made sure that every worker has their own account. And in that account, it highlights them that it, it it has the potential to occur to them. Here is some information that shows that, yes, it will happen to you if you don't change. Here's the data of a particular worker leading up to this injury. Here's the data that you're showing right now. So be careful. And then they think, oh, okay, maybe it will happen to me. Then here comes the training modules. This is what you do to stop it from happening to you. And it's their account. They get, they get to track their progress and they can say, okay, well, yeah, two months ago, my numbers were here and I now understand that that's a risk. And now I can see that they've come down. So my risk is reduced. So now I know, yes, it may happen to me, but I'm going to do everything I can to prevent it happening. And I've got this guidance. I've got numbers. I've got training modules that are helping me to reduce that risk. You know, when I'm thinking about this, one more thing came to my mind is in one company that I worked for, um, they actually created, um, we were just Fitbits. We were, it was a very simple program for exercise. But one of the really interesting thing they did was create a, some group activities so that employees could start collaborating and, and getting together and then um, supporting one another in their journey to um, finding a better health and better well-being. What about ideas like that? How could that work into um, using wearables for in the workplace? Any thoughts on that? 
Yeah, well, it's a, a term that's been thrown around over the last couple of years called participative ergonomics, where as soon as you ask the workers themselves where they think the injury risks are and where they think things need to change, then they're involved in that process and in groups they can come up with solutions. We had actually, there was one organisation, I can't remember who it was, they had a, um, a shark tank environment where they actually said to the workers, hey, we know this is a particular problem. We know this particular task has a physical demand. So you guys go out in groups, your shifts can be your group. So you get together in groups and you see if you can come up with a solution, you all pitch the solution and the winner gets a barbecue breakfast or the winner gets whatever it is. But the winner, yes, the winners are rewarded, but also the organization are going to do it. So if you've come up with the best solution to this problem, then we are going to fund it and we are going to do it. Um, and we're, we're going to put the support behind you. And it was brilliant. I can't remember which organization it was now, but it was the, the feedback from the workers was brilliant because they were, they were put in the, they weren't just being involved. They were put at the forefront to solve the problem because they do it all day, every day. So who, who better to ask than the people who are experienced? And, and when you've got guys who've been doing it for 20, 30 years, they've worked out efficient ways of doing things. So you need to harness that knowledge and use that to train the others so that a worker who starts tomorrow can benefit from all of that knowledge. So yeah, that's, that's um, a brilliant way of, of actually engaging the workers to solve problems. Yep. And uh, another piece there with regards to wearables, right? Once the employees start seeing those problems, right? Having wearables that give them the ability to sort of record a solution is also another piece of that. So that's another common solution that we use on our end. Well, thank you. This has been an amazing conversation. I really uh, appreciate the both of you coming and having this conversation with me today. Did you have any last thoughts that you wanted to share with the audience before you left? Basically on our end, you know, uh, it's about, you know, we're seeing a lot, we're feeling a lot of excitement in regards to, uh, you know, teaching new lessons to younger people in our fields. Um, the wearables have been a big boost in the sense of just getting engagement, confidence and things of that nature to get them into the field and giving us measurements so that we know they're doing it right. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of excitement there and uh, we're definitely seeing kind of this area of virtual sort of uh, becoming more common and definitely more integrated with health and safety. Yeah, and it's interesting to say integrated. I suppose my last um, my last thought or my last comment is the cost effectiveness and making sure that because a lot of organisations are scared of using technology because a lot of it isn't cost effective and early days it was expensive. So really, when it comes down to using wearables for safety, um, for health and safety and injury prevention, it needs to be cost effective, but it needs to be able to integrate in with normal operations. If it's disruptive, if it's hard work for the workers. And if it costs too much, then it's Not just going to be, yeah, it's just going to be a waste of time and a waste of money. But otherwise, having said that, <laughs> it is, it is definitely the future. And as we've, as we've talked about in the last hour, the data is incredibly valuable, not just for the organizations, but for the individual workers as well. Well, thank you very much. This has been an awesome conversation. Thanks, Tamara. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Safety Talks. That was an amazing conversation that we just had with Mark Rowe and Scott Coleman. I want 
to do a special shout out for our sponsor of this episode, Preventure. They're preventing workplace injuries using sports science technology solutions. So navigate over to preventure.live and you can find the solutions that they have to offer. Are you looking for the show notes for safety talks? Please go to safepedia.com. Under the podcast menu, you can find all our show notes there. Are you looking for health and safety content to share out to your team? Again, at safepedia.com, we we are that one-stop shop for great safety knowledge. We've got webinars, articles, and Q&As to share out for free. That's safepedia.com. Until next time, stay safe.